settling is not an option for me. Everything I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? Because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of For the Girls. I'm your host, Victoria Alario. And it is 2023. Where is the time going? I needed that little break. I am not going to lie. I have been so, 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 so lazy. Like, bad. I have just been sitting in bed eating tons of food, gaining weight. I did just get back into working out yesterday because I really needed to. I've been like the freaking parents in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when they just like sit in bed all day like watching TV. (laughs) That's literally been me. But I feel like I just needed that. Like I just needed to literally do nothing. And I've been enjoying doing nothing. And I'm an advocate for doing more of nothing. But today, to kick off For the Girls 2023, we are going to get into a big Q&A. So I have tons of questions that I accepted through Instagram. I have a bunch of scenarios that you guys sent me for Dear Victoria through email and I'm just really excited to get into all of that. Stick around, listen. Not every question will apply to you guys, but sometimes advice can be applied all different ways. Like you can take one piece of advice that I may be answering a like relationship question and you could apply it to work or friendships or family. Like say it has to do with boundaries. Like boundaries are universal, you know? Feelings and all that are pretty universal and there will be two episodes out today because I am breaking up this Q&A into part one and part two there were just so many good questions and I wanted to get to them all so some questions are really long some questions are really quick and short but I didn't want to skip over any so I'm answering 12 questions here in part one and then when you're done you're gonna get to go over to part two and listen to those as well And yeah, I'm really excited for this month because this month is, of course, the, you know, start of a new year, but it is the month of me kind of kicking off really building like this community in person more. I've been wanting to do that. Last year, I wanted to get into trying to figure out how to like host events or something like that. I wasn't really like too like into planning anything and bringing anything to like fruition, but I was you know, thinking about it and journaling about it. And now, this month, January 14th, we are having our first meetup. We're doing a boxing class in Jersey City. I've been posting about it on Instagram a lot. So if you guys are not following me on Instagram, make sure that you follow because if you're local, like if you're in the Jersey area or the New York area and you can get to Hoboken or Jersey City, then stay you know in touch and stay paying attention so you can be a part of the next events and so on and so forth so if you're hearing this right now and you are local and you do want to join I will say that the class is full but if you send me a dm I might be able to get you in I would just have to talk to the instructor he's the owner of the gym and he maxes out the classes 
based on, you know, the size of the room and how many people can fit comfortably to make it like the best experience for everybody. So if you do want to join and you're hearing this now, send me a message and I'll see what we can do. Now let's get into the Q&A. So question one. Here's the way I've been operating and it's exhausting. I have a lot of energy for others and I genuinely love going all out for people. My personality has become the nicest girl people know. I'm not disingenuous about it, but I'm tired and constantly spiral about never truly loving myself or giving myself the same energy I give to others. I constantly feel like a selfish person. For example, my grandpa has cancer and I've only gone to visit him twice since he was diagnosed a year ago it's too painful so I decide to push it away this makes me feel like a bad person I also have a little sister in eighth grade who I know needs me but despite living an hour away from her I've only made an effort to see her or or call her a handful of times in the last year it's too painful to go to my childhood home and I fear I can't be emotionally available for her all the time so I just don't at all My last example of this is how I just finished playing um, college soccer for five years. Obviously, I love soccer, but after my last game in the fall of 2021, I have not watched or played any games. I haven't pursued coaching, which is one of my favorite hobbies. I've unfollowed all soccer accounts on Instagram, and I didn't watch one World Cup game. It's too painful, so I want nothing to do with it. I'm a deep thinker and constantly feel like a horrible person. Everyone thinks I'm amazing and nice and genuine and giving, but on the inside, I feel selfish and ugly. I have body image issues on top of this, and my self-esteem is very low. How do you start building yourself up? I'm constantly so depressed when I think about truly being able to look at myself in the mirror and liking what I see. I don't know if I'll ever be there. Do you have any advice for me? Thank you so much for reading. I know it was a bit long and chaotic. Oh, wow. Well... Let me start this off by saying I have regrets around how much, how little I visited my grandparents on my dad's side when they were dying, basically, when they were passing away. And I have regrets. Oh my God, I feel like I'm going to get emotional. I have regrets around the last time that I ever saw my grandpa. Um, I get like, I have the same like it's it's too painful I am very bad with death I do not handle grieving well and death well and the process of somebody dying well and you know when my the last time I saw my grandfather he my grandfather did get cancer at the very end of his life I mean granted he was in his 90s so he was you know old but the cancer kind of came out of nowhere and you know it it happened very 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 quickly like if he didn't get the cancer he probably would have lived a few more years and then just died of natural old age but the cancer just came and like took over very fast because he was old and it was just there was really nothing that you could do about it there was no like you can't go through surgery at that age it's not worth it um in any case the last time that I saw my grandfather in my gut I knew it was going to be the last time I knew um, that he was going to pass away and I I didn't act like it was. Like it's just too painful. So like you said, I pushed that away. So I pushed that away and I just acted like, oh, I'll see him again. Like I didn't really like sit and talk with him um, all that much. And 
sorry, needed a second there. I didn't really sit and talk with him all that much. I, you know, just acted the way I would as if we had more time. You know, oh, I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see you the next day. You know, like, whatever. I'll see you when I get back. Um, It was just like another day in the life, you know. And then he passed away. And, you know, I kind of acted like I was so, like, shocked or unexpected. But, like, I knew it was coming. I was just in denial. And, you know, that denial just kind of, like, sugarcoats the pain. Um, And now, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, that's, like, the worst thing. You know, like, I should have gone more. I should have treated it like it was the last time I was going to see him. You know, and when my grandmother passed away his you know his wife um that was so unexpected she did have Alzheimer's but she wasn't like sick you know like she wasn't I I don't know like when she died it just happened so abruptly and they lived so close and I like just didn't go like I didn't like to see her with Alzheimer's I didn't like to see them old and not really like aware and just not feeling great you know I remember my grandmother as someone who took care of everybody and you know um, did everything cooking and whatever and you know seeing her like in in the chair and not even really aware of her surroundings like it's just not the grandmother that I was raised with and so I I avoided going but then when she died again it was kind of sudden but I'm like you know again she was also in her 90s like it realistically it's any day now when they're when they're older you know so I, I, today I have regrets that like, I I would never want my, my children to do that with my parents. You know, I would never want my children to avoid seeing my parents when they're older. I, you know, question like when you avoid like seeing somebody, um, when they're sick or dying, like do they realize, like, do they understand that it's because you do love them so much that it's painful? Or do they feel, like, unloved? Okay, I needed a second there. But I just think about they're, they're dying, right? Like, they don't have much time left on this earth. So... I'm sure all they want in the world is to be surrounded by love as they end their life. But we put ourselves first and we do love them so much. That's why we're in pain and avoid it. But does that really make sense for them? Like, no, I would think if I knew my days are numbered, all I would want would be surrounded by love and the people that I love are avoiding and not seeing me like I think I would feel very unloved and that perspective just like hurts and thinking about somebody who lived a whole entire life filled with family and friends and whatever when they were young and healthy and whatever now being old and sick and dying and doing that alone is like that kills me. So try to shift the perspective to thinking like, this isn't about me. Like I might be in pain, but I'm going to keep living after. That They are not. They are going to die and they should not leave the world alone and feeling 
unloved and feeling avoided. <sighs> okay. So to go into the rest of your question, because let's get off of that. <laughs> let's get off of that topic. Here's the thing. What's happening, or at least what I think is happening, is that you're running on fumes. Imagine a gas tank. And like, okay, so say that there's like thirds, right? Like the bottom half would be self-love because that's the bare minimum. Like all humans need to have self-love in order to operate. And then the next third, you know, two-thirds of it then would be like, um, you know, love from others, love for others, whatever. And then like the next one, the last one would be like an abundant, just an outpouring of love and just such an amazing outlook on life. And, you know, I'm excited about things and all different like positive feelings, okay? So now if that's if that's on empty, that gas tank goes down to empty, it's going to run on fumes until the car eventually dies and it just can't like it's out of gas um so think of you as a human being like a gas tank so if you are running on fumes because you don't even have the bare minimum which is self-love you can't get on to that that next third of the gas tank you can't get on to the final third of the gas tank like you won't be able to be there for everybody and give everybody love and energy and have a love for life because you're lacking the love for yourself first so imagine life is like that how can you be that you know nice girl who everyone goes to and you're 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 giving 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 if really what it is is you're like trying to overcompensate for the lack of love that you have internally like when you're trying to be that person for everyone, it's not to say that you're disingenuous. I'm sure that you actually thoroughly do enjoy to do that for people. But the reason why then you're like, but now I feel selfish because I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, I can't be this, I can't be that, whatever. All this is so painful is because to a degree, it kind of is not genuine. And you're spiraling, like you said, you constantly spiral about not giving myself the same energy. You're spiraling because you're simply overcompensating while running on fumes. And then it finally catches up to you. And it's like, girl, you need to love yourself first. You need to give yourself this energy first. You need to fill up your own cup first. And if you're not loving yourself, if you're not giving yourself that energy, and if you're not filling up your own cup, then you're not going to be able to do it for others. So... To start building yourself up, you need to just create consistent habits. And don't only look for external resources and people and things to be that habit. Like, oh, I do consistent habits. I listen to a podcast. Well, for me, for example, I put out one podcast episode a week. And for the past couple weeks, the past two weeks, I didn't even have an episode out. So if you rely on me to be someone who builds you up, What are you going to do for the six out of seven days a week that I don't have a new episode? What are you going to do for the holidays and the weeks that I go on break? It's not going to, you're going to feel like shit, right? So listening to podcasts are great, but you have to do the inner work. So whether that be hiring a coach, I don't know, like me or somebody else, if maybe I'm not the coach that resonates with you, but hiring a coach to work with on, you know, a weekly or daily basis or 
following like a really good diet that not only is just about like losing weight and saying like okay cut this out cut that out but almost healing yourself with food and eating good foods that you love and enjoy but are also healthy and will help you you know follow a healthy diet someone that I love to follow for nutrition is medical medium I've talked about him a few times he had he's the inventor of like the celery juice phenomenon and he has all different like cookbooks and you know just books I don't know if they're necessarily cookbooks but they're like nutrition books or whatever they are and I love following him I love everything he shares he has like the heavy metal detox look into him but there's so many people out there so follow people that can help influence and guide you to having to healing yourself literally with nutrition and food because honestly we can we don't need pills we don't need medication to heal ourselves we need nutrition good ingredients on an everyday basis um invest into beauty you know allow yourself to feel good every day one thing I notice is like sometimes I don't like to look in the mirror either and I don't necessarily fully struggle with body dysmorphia like that severe of issues but sometimes I really don't like to look in the mirror and what do you know my hair might be dirty my skin might not look great I don't have makeup on I'm in an outfit that's not really flattering to my body. I don't look comfortable. Um, So how do I change that? I make sure that I have a good hair care routine and I wash my hair. I don't let myself get like greasy hair. It makes me feel gross. I stay consistent with my skincare routine and I stay consistent with my esthetician who gives me facials and I invest the money into my skin because when I when I have my acne, which I do, I am acne prone heavily. I feel very insecure and I cannot even look at myself in the mirror. And all I do is take pictures of it. I take pictures of my acne and I just stare at it and I'm like, oh my God, I'm a disgrace. I'm gross. Um, And so, you know, I'll put makeup on. I'll, I'll put on makeup that looks good on my skin and that hydrates my skin. And I'll switch my outfits into outfits that are flattering to my body. And I'm not trying to follow a trend just because everybody else is doing it if it doesn't suit my body type. So You know, there's all different things that we could do on a daily basis. We could go for walks. We can work out. We can read books. I love reading books. We can, um, you know, just be one with nature. Not only going for walks, but like sitting in the park. Being close to the trees. Being close to water. Going on water. Like even take a freaking ferry ride. Like whatever it is to just like get out there and like feel the fresh air. Go for long drives, listen to music, hang out with friends who help fill up your cup. Relax when you need to relax, take naps when you need to take naps, watch TV and just chill out. Okay, so I know that was a bit long, but hopefully that helped in one way or another. Now let's get into question two. I'm not sure if this is something you are comfortable talking about on your podcast, but I was hoping maybe you would have some advice for me. I recently broke up with an ex who also gave me herpes. In the moment, I didn't find it much of an issue because I thought I loved him. We now aren't together and it's been really tough to find someone who is okay with it. The advice I'm asking for is if or when would it be the right time to tell someone this information i have tried telling them within the first few dates and also have waited a month or longer all of which left me for that reason any advice or suggestions now this is hard 
It's hard because obviously you're the victim in this situation. You're innocent. You trusted someone. You loved someone. You were in a committed relationship with someone. They were your partner and they did you wrong and they gave you herpes. And now you're the one who, you know, has to deal with consequences of something that you didn't ask for. Not that anybody ever asks for it, but some people may be a little bit more careless and they may just be having unprotected sex with tons of people and that's what happens when you you know aren't careful and having safe sex and now you're not together and now you're trying to date and find a partner who will be accepting of something that is really hard I don't blame men for not wanting to pursue things after that because it is a very big deal and then it's a risk to them and it's their own health and their own safety and if it could be prevented by them like if they can say I know this girl has herpes and I don't want to now be with her I don't want to have sex with her then I I understand and I don't blame them for having that mindset it's different if you didn't tell them you slept with them gave them herpes and now they have it it's like shit Like, what the fuck? Now we both have herpes and now, sure, maybe you'd be together because what difference does it make? They couldn't, there was no precautions. They they couldn't do anything about it. But if you're giving them the option, more than likely they're going to say, thanks for the heads up, not interested though. With all of that being said, of course you're doing the right thing by sharing because it's like fundamental. It's like a requirement. If you have an STD or STI, anything of the sort, you should absolutely be telling somebody that you have the potential being intimate with. But here's what I will say. Are you potentially going to be intimate with every single guy that you go on a date with? No, of course not. So I know you didn't say on the first date, but you said within the first few dates. So I don't know what that means. Is a few, two dates, three dates, four dates, five dates. Like It can mean a bunch of different things. When you say I've waited a month or longer... That's more of the aspect I would go. I here For me, my boundaries with dating are I don't kiss at all on the first date. First date is a complete stranger and I just don't kiss. Second date, maybe if I'm like really feeling it, maybe if I drink a little bit, like if I'm feeling that spark, yeah, we'll kiss on the second date. But it's not like a requirement. It's not set in stone. It really depends. By the third date, yes, then like we'll be getting in that, heading in that direction. But I would say give yourself like those first three dates to even see if you have that sort of chemistry with somebody. A a person is a complete stranger on a first date and there's no need, and a second date, there's no need to share that sort, your medical history and your sexual history and things of that sort with them. But by the third date, if things are progressing and like spicing up a little bit, um, then you'll know if you actually like them, if you actually see yourself potentially being intimate with them. But remember that you have to be vetting just as much as they are. I, I find that like, I feel that maybe you are thinking like, you're almost, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like you have this, thing the herpes kind of lingering over you like a dark cloud and it's almost like you're just waiting to tell them to see if they are going to decide if they want to be with you or not but you should be 
deciding if you like them or not before you even get to the point of wanting to disclose that information. Make sure that you're not just like, okay, let's see if this guy will take me. Let's see if this guy will be with me. I can't wait to get to the point of telling him this so we could see what this is going to be because you're almost just like counting yourself out already without even deciding fully how you feel about them. So I would really go based on like I would set strong boundaries. I would really, really get to know somebody. I would take that time, really vet them, really see if you like them, see if they like you, see if it's mutual. And then you could say, listen, I've had, you know, a lot of fun building this connection with you. I do like you. I do respect you. I am interested in you. I wanted to see, you know, if we had potential to be something. And now that I feel like we could, I need to share this with you. And what I think that you need to share is knowledge. Educate them because I'm not even knowledgeable really on what it all means and how it fully affects you and how negative can it impact them and are they 100% prone to be getting it if they did sleep with you. Like I don't have the knowledge on herpes. I've never been in this predicament or this situation and I, I mean, you learn what you learn when you're younger, but like, I never, I never even had a sex ed class. I went to Catholic school. So like, I just know the things that I've learned in passing, but I can't tell you what herpes is and how it truly affects the human body. So if somebody were to tell me that they have it, I would need them to educate me. I would need them to make it clear to me what this actually means for them and for me. Because I know that there's some situations where things, you know, can go away or things don't necessarily last forever, but some they do. Like, that's it. You'll have that for the rest of your life. And I just don't know as far as this specific one. So make sure that you educate them in full. Make sure that you share, you know, even just down to like, listen, this was out of my control. It happened with an ex and now I'm stuck with this. This is part of who I am now. And I would just take it from there. Question number three, what is your go-to mantra? I've said it before. I will say it again. I only want what wants me. It's in like all my episodes where I talk about confidence. It is just a part of my life. It's a part of my brain. It's like embedded in my head. I only want what wants me. It allows me to remain confident through every situation. It allows me to not have a fear of rejection and a fear of judgment because anyone who doesn't want me is not for me and I don't want it either. I only want what wants me. Period. End of discussion. No other way around it. No if ends, or buts. If I can't feel 100% safe, secure, confident, and comfortable with you, then I am not for you and you are not for me. Question four. What does your dream wedding look like? Well, 
let's back up. For starters, my dream engagement, like my dream proposal would be very, 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 very chill. Like at home, in bed, preferably on a Sunday morning when we're just like sleeping in, enjoying some bagels, watching TV, like just that's me. That's very personal to me. That's very much my vibe. That's what I enjoy. I don't enjoy like the big grand gestures with like the light up letters, marry me. I don't like strangers being around. I don't want people taking pictures. Like I want something very, very, very homey vibes. And that's how I feel about a wedding as well. I don't want a big wedding. I don't want bridesmaids. I don't want a maid of honor. I don't want a a catering hall. Like I could picture myself having like an outdoor type of wedding like in the Hamptons, obviously in like Tuscany like that, but that's not really on my uh, agenda. But like something like a lot of green grass outside, a nice really long table with just best friends and family. Because to me, like the whole thing about a bridal party and bridesmaids and all that is like, okay, so I'm inviting people I'm not that close with to my wedding and then my best friends get like this special honor. Why would I want people at my wedding that I'm not that close with? I don't. To me, if you're invited to my wedding at all, you're a best friend. You don't need to be a bridesmaid. Your invitation shows that you're my best friend. So I would have a very small wedding with just friends, just family. I don't want a big, huge dress. I want a beautiful dress, obviously, but it could be something very silky, slip dress, like not anything over the top. And it'd be quick. Like if we get engaged, I would want the wedding to be something that could happen within like three months. Like I don't need to wait a year, a year and a half, two years to plan this whole grand wedding. Not interested. Not interested at all. Lots of white, white flowers, white table, white centerpieces, maybe a white like tent around us. And that's like pretty much it. But in all honesty, I would be content with literally like a courthouse freaking wedding. Like I just would, would want to get married. Like I, I hate like the whole thing of like getting engaged and then waiting two years. Like no offense if you do it. It's just not for me. Like if we get engaged, we want to be married. So I just want to get married. And then like, yeah, we could plan like the wedding party. But like I'd be fine just like going and getting married just for the like legal purposes and being like, okay, yes, we're married. Question number five. I'm worried about not disappointing my parents even at 24 years old. Any advice for this? Um, I would say I we love our parents, but the love that you have for your parents doesn't have to be showed or shown. Showed? Is that even a fucking word? I don't know why I said that. Doesn't have to be shown through your life choices like say that this has to do with your career say that you went to college you wanted to do this whole career whatever and now you're finding you know passions in other areas your love for your parents and your respect and admiration for your parents isn't determined or like shown through that you know what I mean so I believe that when parents 
when people have children, sometimes, not to say that this makes somebody a bad parent, but sometimes people just want to have a baby. Like, I just want a baby. I just want to get pregnant. I just want to have a kid. But the best parents, and most parents, I would say, they want to raise an adult like they want to have an adult like they think long term it's not just like I want a baby it's like I want a kid who could then have a fulfilling amazing life and be an adult and be happy so when a parent when a person decides to have a child they are deciding to create life which goes beyond two years old it's beyond having a baby they are creating a person who will have a life where they have free will and make choices and make mistakes and live and learn. So most parents should have that understanding that you were not born to be a baby and to do what your parents tell you to do or what they expect of you. So just remember that good parents want you to be an adult who loves their life and is happy and is free and lives and learns. If they are putting that much pressure on you to do exactly what they want and exactly what they plan for you, ask them, then what the hell? Like, what did you, did you decide to have children to live vicariously through them? Or did you decide to have a child to have, you know, have an adult who, loves their life and makes their own decisions you know so I don't think that you're gonna really hurt and disappoint them unless you do things that are ethically or morally wrong you make really bad choices and you hurt people along the way but if they are disappointed by choices like schooling or work or boyfriends, your relationship, whatever, um, just tell them like, you know, this is how, this is, this is what makes me happy. And even if it ends up going wrong, I have to do it for myself. I have to see it for myself. I'd rather learn the hard way than avoid making decisions out of fear of disappointing you guys. And if it's not them, if it's just your own personal internal struggle and battle, ask yourself why. Like why do you have this struggle of like being afraid of hurting your parents or disappointing your parents? Why are you putting their desires before your own? Remember what I said with that first girl? There's like the the um, gas tank in a car. Your self-love has to come first. So putting yourself first and making those selfish decisions has to come first. I have a whole entire podcast episode about why selfishness is self-care. You come first, fill up your own tank or you'll be running on empty and you will not be able to help anybody or make anybody else happy. Question number six, how to deal with first date nerves? Well, first things first, the most simple answer that you're definitely not looking for is go on more first dates. Date more people. The more you do it, it's like riding a freaking bike. The more you get used to it. If you're going on one first date, 
every couple months, you're going to be very nervous every time you do it. But if you go on first dates multiple times a week, you're, it's going to be like literally nothing. So that's number one. Number two, um, have a consistent routine that stays the same every single time you have a date. Like give yourself the same amount of time to get ready every single time. Do your hair the same way. Do your makeup the same way. Do not switch it up. You could have a first date outfit that you wear every single time you go on a first date so that you know you look good in it. You know that your body, like how it suits your body. You know, you if you're doing the same hair, makeup, and outfit every single time, then you know how you're going to look every single time and you're never going to be like, oh my God, I look like shit. Oh my God, now I'm stressed. Like you're always going to feel good in that look. Um, also, like it doesn't, hurt to maybe have a drink before you go I have never had a drink before I go on a date but I will say I see a lot of get ready with me for a date video on TikTok and they're always like having a glass of wine or they're taking a shot and I'm like shit maybe I should do that to loosen up a little bit but I don't even have alcohol in my house so I've just never done that but I know that people do that another thing when getting ready is to kind of distract yourself So one thing I do, I tend to do when I get ready for dates is I will literally make TikTok videos while I'm doing it because now I'm like talking to the camera, talking about like the makeup I'm using, whatever. And it's kind of like distracting me from even thinking about the guy at all. And now my mind is not set on like, should I text him or how long has it been since he texted me? Did he leave it? Like I'm not even thinking about those things. If you're not into like content creation and you're looking for other ways to distract yourself, listen to a podcast, put on a show, let the show play in the background, like kind of watch the show, pay attention. A a show that I've been watching, because I don't always do the get ready with me videos. I don't share every single time that I go on a date. Um, But most recently on the dates that I've been going on, I've been watching the show uh, I think it's called Sex Life of Sex Lives of College Girls or College student something like that sex lives of college girls I think it's called yeah I just actually finished it I watched the first two seasons and most of the time I was watching it was while I was sitting on the floor getting ready to to go on dates and it's entertaining and it's distracting and it's a good show and it just honestly like removes any nerves that are really focused around the guy and by the time that you're done getting ready you finish watching the show or you shut up the show And then he's like, okay, I'm here outside. Okay, I run outside and I'm like ready to go. Okay, let's get to question number seven because this is an interesting one. I started seeing this guy in May, but we had to take a step back from it because he was still in love with his ex of over 10 years who he had broken up with a few months before. Over the year, I have met all of his friends, spent time with his siblings and parents, and even had drinks with his extended family. Oy vey. We started, uh, sorry, we talked over the summer and decided to stop seeing each other physically because I told him it felt like I was being used. Now I've been going to dinner with his parents more often, meeting his best friend from out of town, but he keeps telling me about dates he's been going on and how much he likes the girls he's been seeing. What? I don't know how to feel. I've been in love with him for months, but it seems like he really just has been using me all this time. That's because he has. He's using you because he knows how you feel about him. And listen, obviously you're the innocent one here. He's the bad guy. But I'm not going to victimize you. Because you are an adult who is making 
conscious decisions that you know deep down are wrong. Meaning, he is tell- he's doing what he's telling you he's going to do. Like, he's telling you he's going on dates. He's telling you he's liking other girls. He's telling you he's single and, and all this stuff. And then you're like, I don't know what to do. Like, it seems like he's just using me. I keep going out with his parents. I keep going out with his friends. I'm doing all these things. But why isn't it going? Like, why is this happening? Because exactly what he what he's exhibiting is exactly the reality of the situation. You're putting your feelings first. And that's the problem there. Because you're putting your feelings first, you're doing girlfriend duties without the title or respect of being a girlfriend. If I am not your girlfriend, I am not going to dinner with your parents. I am not going to dinner with your friends from out of town. I am not becoming part of your world as if I'm your partner. If I was just your friend or just your fuck buddy, whatever it is, we wouldn't be acting like this, right? We would say we're just friends or we're just hooking up. We both don't have these feelings to each other. We both have a mutual understanding of that. There would be none of these girlfriend type behaviors but because he values your attention he likes the attention he's getting from you because you're giving him you're letting him have his cake and eat it too he's taking advantage of it this you're putting his life on easy mode while you're over here struggling you're like but I love him I want to be with him so I'm doing whatever it takes to be with him but I feel like I'm being used like you're just making life harder for yourself and easier for him You need to set boundaries. You need to make it clear like if I'm not getting what I want, then I'm not giving you what you want because we want two different things. And clearly we are not compatible and clearly we are not on the same page. So this man wants to be single. This man wants to actively date other women. This man likes other women. However, he enjoys the comfort of knowing you'll be there and that he has you to rely on in his back pocket. And he doesn't have to worry or stress about being alone or not having someone to spend time with because you're making it really damn convenient for him. So these are two different questions. So this is like question eight and nine, but I'm going to combine them into one answer because to me, the answer is the same for both. So one person says, how do you trick your mind into being productive? And then the other person says, what is your one piece of advice that you live by daily when it comes to motivation? And my answer to both of these things is motivation is bullshit. So if you're looking to try to become productive by motivating yourself, it's a waste. And if you're looking for daily motivation, it's a waste. Why? Because you need discipline. Motivation is a temporary feeling. Motivation is like, I feel really good today. I'm really hyped up. Let me get shit done. And the next day is like, I don't feel great. I'm having a low day. My mental health is not all the way there. I'm in a bad mood. People are annoying me. I'm not going to get shit done today. So that's how life looks when you rely on motivation to be productive or to get things done discipline is I'm gonna show up rain or shine discipline is I care about my goals you know how they always say you need to have a why so your why is why you have these goals 
why you have this career, why you do these things, why you run this business. This is why I do what I do. So when your why is powerful enough, when your why is strong enough, and I'm not talking about on the surface that's like, oh, my why is because I want to be financially free. My why is because I want to have a big house and I want my kids to have, you know, it all and blah, 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 blah. That's not a why. Your why needs to make you cry. Your why needs to be deep. It needs to be powerful. It needs to be why you wake up every morning and do this instead of doing that. You can, if if your why right now is to make a lot of money and to buy a big house, you could have any other career that makes you a lot of money and gets you a big house. Why don't you become a doctor then? Why don't you become, I don't know, a therapist or a lawyer? Like, why don't you do anything else that makes you a ton of money and can get you a big house? Why do you choose to be a business owner? Why do you choose to be a coach? Why do you choose these things, this job, to make you the money and to get you a big house? So a surface level tangible why like that isn't strong enough to keep you disciplined. It'll keep you motivated. Yeah, let me show up today because I, you know, I want to get that big house in five years. Or even in the gym. Let's let's say with the gym. If you are struggling to show up at the gym and your why of going to the gym is just, I want to lose 10 pounds. Well, you can lose 10 pounds really kind of without going to the gym. You can lose 10 pounds by going on walks and by changing up your diet and by taking freaking vitamins and fat burners. Like you can lose the 10 pounds doing other things. So that surface level why of wanting to lose 10 pounds isn't going to motivate you on a bad day to go to the gym. If it's raining out, if it's, you know, you have your period, you have cramps, you're not going to want to get up and go to the gym. You're not going to be motivated. But if your why for wanting to lose the 10 pounds is because you really want to discover self-love and confidence and you want to empower others and you want to make an impact not only on yourself but on other people in the world, then you're going to get up and you're going to get to the gym because you're disciplined and because you care about your goals and because your goals are that important. So discipline is where it's at and motivation is absolute garbage. Discipline is what's going to hold your hand when nothing else will. Question number 10. What are your thoughts on jumping from one guy to another to figure out what you like? I think that's vital. I think that the only way to discover what your standards even are are by experiencing all different men. For me, I actually have a TikTok video out where I say like, It's so funny when guys on TikTok like complain about my standards because I'm like, do you think I made this all up in my head? Because you're delusional if you think that my standards are just a figment of my imagination. My standards come from experience, life experience. The men who raised me, the boys I've always been friends with, some of the men I've dated, my siblings, like the men in my family, like... I, I've only ever been around men who treat women the way that I desire to be treated. So if I go on a date with a guy who treats me less than that, 
then I know I need to keep dating until I meet somebody who does things for me that I like or treats me in a way that matches my needs and my desires. You're not going to just know what you like because of the movies you watch or the books that you read or what you heard somebody say on TikTok. I know that might sound contradicting because I share my advice on TikTok, but I tell people straight up, you need to get out there and experience it for yourself. I can't tell you what you like. You need to experience what you like through dating multiple people. So figure out your needs and desires based on experiencing highs and lows and seeing what feels good and what doesn't. Question number 11. From who or where do you get emotional support after a long day? Well, first things first, I would say my body. I am very big on listening to my body after a long day or going through like some tough stuff, meaning my body might want rest and I might want to just lay down and take a nap or lay in bed and watch TV or my body might want exercise and I can work out or my body might just want the outdoors and I could go on a walk or you know go sit in the park whatever it is so I really listen to my body and what my body's desiring at that moment whether it be to lay down or to keep it moving that's number one number two as far as the who of it all this is this depends because if you're having a bad day you don't want to go to your friend who like isn't doesn't always answer the phone or is like kind of busy like they say, oh my God, I'll get right back to you. Like, and then they don't. Like, I do have some friends that I love so much and I really, really value and I love talking to them about things. But I also know I like have to catch them at the right time because they're not always like available. And like, sometimes I'll really want to talk to them about something and like, I don't hear back from them for hours. And that only makes matters worse. If I need to talk, then I need to talk right there in that moment. So the only people, if I need to really talk to someone, the only people I would go to would be somebody who I know will pick up the phone. And it's not like I'm going to somebody for advice. I don't necessarily like really seek advice from people, but it's someone that I that can just listen because you don't always necessarily want solutions if you present a problem to somebody, right? Sometimes you present a problem to somebody just because you want to vent and just talk and you don't want anyone to say well here's what I would do no 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 don't need that right now so I would say I really listen to my body or I would only ever go to a friend that I know I could rely on to pick up the phone because I really don't feel like being pissed off by trying to call somebody that is like really bad at answering okay I'm going to do one more question and then I'm going to actually do a part two I've never done this before, I don't think, where I've split up an episode for the girls, but because we're approaching an hour and there's still so many more questions. So we're going to do question 12 and then I'm going to have another episode right after this one. Question 12. I really can't find men attractive. Like I do like men, don't get me wrong, but it's just the ones who approach me are boring or they're just looking for sex and I'm not looking for that. I have only found one guy two years ago and he didn't want to commit so I just left the situation. What am I doing wrong that I can't find one who is fully my type and wants to commit? I don't know if it's that I like the toxic ones or if I just have really picky taste. I don't know. Help. Well, girl, welcome to the single life 
where we are all single because we can't find one who is fully our type and also wants to commit. So that is the dilemma of all single people's dilemma usually. I'm a very picky person and it's not to say that I'm picky in the sense of you have to look a certain way or be a certain height. My standards are not really physical. The most physical thing about my standards is that I have to be physically attracted to you. It doesn't really matter at this point what you look like. I used to be like, you can only look like this. You can only be this height, whatever. I've gone on dates with short guys, tall guys, skinny guys, fat guys, fit guys, dad bods, literally all different type, dark hair, light hair, whatever. And as long as I'm physically attracted to you, that's as far as that goes with the pickiness. The pickiness for me comes with the type of man that you are. I love a masculine man. I love a problem solver. I love someone who makes a ton of effort. I love someone who has is rich and wealthy and not just financial, like yes, money, wealth, and richness, but also just health and happiness and confidence and security in themselves. Like they just live a rich life with a positive outlook. And yes, there's a lot of things that I desire in a man. Emotional availability, emotional maturity, safety, security, and yeah, wanting to commit. So it just goes to show that you know exactly what you want and you're not willing to settle. Now, if you're saying that you're attracting boring guys or guys who won't commit, then you have to look inward because I'm with you as far as like, I haven't found the exact perfect guy yet. Obviously, that's why I'm single. But I don't date boring guys or hookup whores who are only looking for sex and won't commit. It's just, I haven't found the right one. I've dated guys who are have really great energy and I've dated guys who are really looking to commit, but not necessarily the one that's the full picture that I personally desire in a husband. So if you're, if the people who are approaching you are not really matching your standards and desires at all, then you have to figure out, do you, um, are you the, the partner that you want to receive? Like, do you have the energy and the aura of what you want back? Because you have to remember that we're a mirror. And so we tend to attract who we are and what we are. So a lot of the things about myself that I've wanted to change, I've noticed are behaviors in guys that I didn't like. Like I was very argumentative and I noticed that there were like some guys that I had attracted at times that were also like maybe a little bit defensive and argumentative and I like hated that about them. But it literally like was something I was doing as well. So, you know, you got to do that inner work, look inward, call yourself out on your own bullshit and change it up. You'll see that you start to attract people who you actually align with when you put out the energy of what you want to receive. I don't ask for anything that I can't give. I can match the energy that I want. All of the things that I desire, all those things that I just listed off, I have, I am. So I don't attract broke guys or financially struggling guys because I am not that. I don't attract insecure guys who have zero confidence in themselves or, or zero security in themselves 
or zero self-esteem because I am not that. And those type of guys with low self-esteem wouldn't even approach me because I exude confidence and high energy. It's just my aura. So really look inward, really focus on yourself and then it might show you why you're attracting these certain guys. Part two of this Q&A is going to be up right after this. So make sure that you go to the For The Girls podcast page to listen to the next episode because I have a lot of more questions to answer. Yours might be included or one might really, really, really relate to you. You definitely want to hear it.